And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. Who's that strange-looking man, Pungy? Let's call. I met him at the laundry, man. Sam Spade Detective Agency. Sam, sweetheart. I don't know what to do, Rabbi. Every night he listens to the radio. I can't keep him away. The Lone Ranger, uh, the Shadow, the Master Avenger. Uh, this is not good. It tends to induce bad values, false dreams, lazy habits. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360 will conclude the Danny Kay Show from 1945. That's part eight of our ten-part mystery, The Cobra King Strikes Back on Adventures by Morse from 1946. By my side, literally, is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, I'm very close to your side here. Maybe a little too close. Mike, did know. you bring any spackle? Because, man, her dimples are they're getting bigger and bigger every time no, I see it. It's age, I'm God, afraid. I'm really? Aging you think it is? While we sit here. Wow. Well, let's tune in to the conclusion now to the Danny Kay Show. We started listening to this last week. January 27th, 1945, Singing in the Bathtub. Do you do that? You sing I in the do bathtub sing in the, the bathtub, the shower. Really? Why not? Does Dan have earplugs? Who, who, that's the best place ever to sing. Re- Everybody yeah, sounds good in the bathtub. Good. True. Here's the conclusion to the Danny Kay Show. Oh, but Mr. Stuyvesant, as one of our leading financial authorities, what is your opinion of the effect reconversion will have on the unearned increment of a soluble corporation that has no holding company? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, uh... <laughs> Mr. Stuyvesant? Yes? Would you rather go by bus? <laughs> no, not at all. I'm uh, very glad you asked me that question, young lady. Very glad. That, uh, a very same question, which when uh, put to prominent banking authorities, uh, must not be confused with each other. We, uh... <laughs> we, uh... We feel, uh, we feel, uh, we feel that the fluctuating currency, which, uh, by the way, has exemplified the monetary values thereof, is, uh, not at all. <laughs> however, uh, however, <laughs> however, um, however, we feel that the man in the street does, and we must not question it. <laughs> You're so right, Mr. Stuyvesant. <laughs> the man in the street will be glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, well, don't tell him just yet, because, uh, well, uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, uh, we're just in the process of... Uh. <laughs> of uh, what? Exactly. <laughs> and you may quote me. Oh, well, uh, thank you, thank you, Mr. Stuyvesant. A uh, pleasant trip, Mr. Stuyvesant. Is there a man by the name of Stuyvesant out there? Oh, sure. That's Mr. Stuyvesant getting his picture took. Say, when you see him, tell him I want him. I want to get his package. Yes, I'll do that, if you think. Hey, uh, Mr. Stuyvesant. Oh, uh, sorry, old chap. No more interviews. I must get on the plane. Uh, that's what you think. What do you mean? I mean I have a warrant for your arrest, me fine check razor. Check razor? Sure, and the law has caught up with you, Mr. G. Wellington Stuyvesant, alias Barney the Banker, alias Tuffy the Thug. Tuffy the Thug? <laughs> Officer, you've made a horrible mistake. Oh, no, sonny boy, you have. Now, will you come quietly where I have to put the cuffs on you? 
The cuffs? <laughs> what is this? Tuffy the Thug Cuffs, Sadie Stuyvesant? Look, I'm not Stuyvesant. I'm Danny Kay. Oh, Danny Kay, is it? My boy, you're getting in deeper and deeper. <laughs> but, officer, now just... Stuyvesant, here's your packet. Lionel, stop this business. I'm in trouble. Tell this man who I really am. Oh, sure. Is Mr. G. Wellington Stuyvesant, the financial typhoon. Oh, no! <laughs> well, here's your bag, Mr. Stuyvesant, and machine. Lionel, will you stop the clowning and get that infernal machine out of here? Oh-ho! An infernal machine, eh? Rolling up the airport. No, 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 officer. It's not what you think. Oh, thank heavens I got here in the nick of time. Now, what is this machine? You, 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 you saboteur, you? Officer, I, I... <laughs> I can't tell you what that machine is. You'd, you'd think I was silly. Oh, so you won't talk, eh? Well, we make you talk. Walk this way, you lord down sneaking spy. <laughs> now, listen, you. I've had enough of this stalling. <laughs> I'm giving you plenty of time to talk. <laughs> now, I don't like to get rough. But you're forcing me into it. <laughs> Will you stop snapping me suspenders? <laughs> well, I can't help it. They fascinate me. <laughs> Gee, pre-war elastic. Stop that, will you? Look here, you. Don't evade the issue. I want a confession. Yes, trying to tell us that this here machine is for an innocent little thing like milking a cow. Officer, look, I've told you a thousand times that's all it is. You see, these little nozzles fit on the cow. Don't tell me what they fit on. <laughs> it's either a time bomb or a thing that makes poison gas. Then again, it could be a booby trap. Why don't you ask me? Is this his or is this hand for me a booby? <laughs> No use, Sergeant Barnett. Start working on the other one for a while. Okay. Hey, you. Who? Me? Yeah, you. Start talking. What'll I talk about? Come on now. Stop acting dumb. Who's acting? <laughs> now, wait a minute. This has gone far enough. You can't hold us here like this. I've got to get on that plane. Now, where's my bag? Yeah, we're not taking any chances on it exploding. It's soaking in that water tank over there. Soaking in the tank? Oh, you can't do this to me. I'll take it to the chief. I'll take it to the mayor. You better take it to the tailor. Your dress suit's in it. <laughs> Look, fellas, there's nothing in that bag but my clothes. Come on, I'll show you. Wait a minute. Don't go near that tank. Look, there's bubbles coming out of that bag. Bubbles? <laughs> Look, everybody, it's going to blow up. Oh, nothing's going to blow up. That's only my Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> I've had enough of this. Larry, take their prints and book them. You first, Goldilocks. Now, wait a minute. Now, you just here, can't just put... press your fingers on oh. this ink pad. Come on, press no. them down there. Yeah, uh, no. that's it. Uh. Hey, Sarge, look. This guy ain't got no fingerprints. <laughs> now, shall we try it with my gloves off? <laughs> look, I've got my license right here in my back pocket. Look out, Sarge. Oh, I'm reaching for a gun, huh? Don't be silly. I wasn't reaching for a gun. Oh, you'd rather use a knife here. Cold steel don't make no knife. I haven't got a gun. I haven't got a knife. Look at me. Do you think I'm the criminal type? Look at me. Yeah, look at him. Just gaze upon the gentle features of that innocuous physiognomy. That harmless innocent... Yeah, the most dangerous type, a baby-faced killer. A baby-faced killer? 
Oh, look, I can't stand this anymore. I just can't stand this. I don't keep my license in a booby trap. I'm not a cold-blooded Alka-Seltzer. I'm not a milk-faced baby machine. I'm Danny Day. I mean Danny Day. <laughs> oh, so you're back to that Danny K routine again. Why don't you be Bob Hope for a while? Okay. This is Bob. Can't get out of the police station. They think I'm a saboteur. How am I going to get to Washington? Hope speaking. <laughs> Sarge. <laughs> oh, we've both been acting like a couple of imbeciles. It's Bob Hope. <laughs> uh, Mr. Hope, I'd recognize your voice any place. <laughs> Always clown. Yeah, it's kind of well. I guess we'll be running along now. And thanks for the memories. <laughs> Coming, Mr. Colonna. Coming, Gate. Let's emulate. <laughs> Hey, uh, what's going on here? Yeah, eh? Quiet, Niles. Uh, well, I was told to rush down here and identify you. I oh, was sh- the, uh, quiet, uh, Niles. It's hmm? all fine. Just fine. They know me now. Sure, everybody knows Mr. Bob Hope. Yeah, Mr. Bob... <laughs> are you kidding? He's Danny Kay. Oh, oh, so it's Danny Kay again, is it? Yeah, and who are you? One of the Kay gang? Sure, we work together all the time. Aha, uh-huh, now start talking and talk fast. Where have you been? The radio station. Oh, shockwave into the enemy, eh? No, I was just talking about 33 Brews. Oh, there are 33 of you. No, no. 32? No, no, it was 33, I tell you. 33. Yes, 33 brews all blended into one great beer. He's talking in code, Clary. You better tell us the truth. Oh, but I always tell the truth about Pat's Blue Ribbon. I tell you, it's full flavor blended. Are you decoding this, Clary? Yes, but it still comes out beer. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to tell you. Order it with confidence, serve it with pride, for no matter where you go, there is no finer beer, no finer blend than Pat's Blue Ribbon. Pat's, Pat's. Stand up, Terry. This guy's going to explode. Yeah, let's, take the let's take the bags out of the tank and put him in it. Oh, this is too much. I can't stand this, I tell you. Look, this is Ken Niles, and that's Lionel Stander, and I'm Danny Kay. Ah, oh, a likely story. I'm Danny Kay, I tell you. What can I do? How can I prove it to you, fellas? Mm, ah, he's cracking at last. <laughs> There's no mistake in that. You're Danny K. All right. Passengers for plane to Washington, gate number three, please. Passengers for plane to Washington, gate number three, please. Well, here I go. I've got my own ticket this time. Hey, Danny, Danny, look, I got the machine back for you. Oh, go away, Lionel, and take that infernal machine with you. Infernal machine? Just a minute there, bud. Oh no! <laughs> Good night. Neighbors, next Saturday, another great Danny Kay show with Eve Arden, Lionel Stander, Harry James and his music makers, and Danny Kay. This program was directed by Dick Black, was brought to you by the Pabst Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Peoria, Illinois. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the Danny Kay show from January 27th, 1945. Singing in the Bathtub, starring Danny Kay and all his gang, sponsored by Paps Blue Ribbon Beer, Lisa's favorite beverage. Hey, I have some right here for Sir a little Don. break. Yeah, CBS, uh, very good. Well, let's take a break. When we come back, it's part eight of Adventures by Morse. Stick around. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. 
Hi, this is Sarah Knight Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in LA and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. Ant-Man and the Wasp, rated PG-13. It's based on the Marvel comic book characters of the same name by Walt Disney Pictures. Paul Rudd is back as Dad Scott Lang, who is also Ant-Man, along with Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne, the Wasp. Together they fight villains and try to rescue Hope's mom, a scientist played by Michelle Pfeiffer. She's been trapped for 30 years in the quantum realm. The film is directed by Peyton Reed, and it also stars Michael Douglas, Lawrence Fishburne, and Michael Pena. Let's take a listen. I just have one question. When Cap needed help, if I'd asked you, would you have come? I guess we'll never know. But if you had, you'd have never been caught. Ant-Man is under house arrest when you first meet him. He spends his time creating mystery games for his daughter. Here's another clip. Maybe you just need someone watching your back. Like a partner. The bottom line, I'm way in. Three and a half stars out of four. There is so much to love about this film. First off, it's nonstop laughter from start to finish. Secondly, the focus on the Wasp as a strong female superhero is fantastic. The film puts the Wasp front and center. This is her story. She even has billing in the title. Lastly, centering the film on family is a huge win-win. Check out my review on Rotten Tomatoes. See you next week. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. This is Hollywood 360. Lisa Wolf to my right, Mike Costella in the booth. And uh, for the last uh, eight weeks or so, we've been tuning in to this terrific story, The Cobra King Strikes Back on Adventures by Morris. Uh, We have a part eight now of this 10-part story. This is called It Was Not Cannibalism. Let's go back to June 9, 1946, for Adventures by Morse. Adventures by Morse. Cartony Morse presents The Cobra King Strikes Back, featuring Captain Friday. If you like high adventure, come with me. If you like the stealth of intrigue, Come with me. If you like blood and thunder, come with me. Two American girls and five American men, hemmed in on all sides by the great Indochina jungles, their fates in the hands of two young Khmer priests, each of whom is known to have killed. Taquan, one of the priests, is ever present to administer to the Americans. Then Lo, the other is an elusive shadow, never quite seen, but his presence always felt. And the end of the journey is a stupendous pile of temple ruins, untold centuries old. Earlier this evening, Captain Friday and Skip Turner held a private conversation on the stone balcony, a thousand feet in the air, where the mountain monastery looked down over the vast wilderness of Cambodia. You know, Captain, we're in a sweet mess if Taquan turns against Dr. Carter. Dr. Carter still swears by him. Even since he admitted killing that priest last night? Yes. Doctor says he did it in defense of patrician, Celium. Well, of course, that lines up with a girl's story. 
You think this is the end of our journey? Well, looks like it. You mean you think this is a hideout of uh, those Khmer priests who are trying to stir up a revolt in Indochina with their emerald cobra? This is the place. Also, this is where we're going to find Fen Lo, if we ever find him. And looks like the French government give us a tough job, all right, if we got to comb Fenlo out of this rat's nest and then get him back through the jungles to civilization. He was our prisoner once. We don't go back without him. Mm. Well, I hope Dr. Carter's getting all the scientific stuff he come here for. <laughs> Funny what scientists will go through to find out about the stuff they're interested in. Ian Perry and Celia have been taking notes and making drawings and copying inscriptions from the walls all day. Yeah. Well, night's closing down. Shall we go back inside? Uh, there's Dr. Carter's dinner gong. Come along. With the passing of the daylight, interest in the temple gave way to uneasiness, and as night settled, to a nameless fear. And now that the evening meal is over, the party is grouped before the great fire in the chamber whose floors are covered with beautiful fur rugs, upon which the members are lounging. Oh, you folks don't want to hear any more of this gruesome business. You won't be able to sleep tonight. Oh, go on, Perry. I won't be able to sleep anyway. Sure, don't go starting something you can't finish. Well, as a matter of fact, I hadn't intended getting in so deep. Oh, don't be so tantalizing, Perry. Let's hear about this, this loop guru or whatever you call them. What do you think, Professor Lebrun? I think we were very unwise to bring the subject up at all. Well, he's got me scared stiff already with his talk about werewolves, witch doctors, cannibalism and that sort of thing. He might as well finish it. Doesn't make a very pleasant bedtime story, Celia. Well, I think it's all a lot of cockeyed banana oil myself. There ain't no such thing as a werewolf. Quite true, Skip. The werewolf, as far as the civilized world is concerned, is extinct. Oh, there never was such an animal. My word, such finality. Well, it ain't reasonable. When a man takes that attitude, Skip, uh, I always get the impression he's trying to reassure himself. <laughs> you mean to say that Skip Turner's afraid? Oh, oh, oh look here, Patricia. <laughs> That's rubbing it in a bit. Well, are you going to tell us some more about the brutes, or ain't you, Perry? Oh, sure, if you want it, I'll tell you. Hey, look at Dr. Carter and Captain Friday, stretched out on their rugs in front of the fire. wonder what they're talking about. You still feel certain that Taquan is to be trusted, Dr. Carter? Do you think, Captain Friday, that I'd place seven precious lives in the hands of a man I didn't trust implicitly? Maybe not intentionally, Doctor. But you could misplace your trust. You haven't any reason to distrust Taquan? No. But something warns me that we're in a pretty tight spot. I can vouch for that myself, Captain. We are in a ticklish position. But that isn't the fault of either Fenlo or Taquan. What you vaguely feel is the force loose in the jungle over which they have no control. Well, maybe. It's true. Evil forces. You know, Captain Friday, I doubt if Taquan would have led this party into the jungle if he'd known at the start what he's since discovered. Meaning what? Venlo and Taquan were small boys when they left this part of the world and went to Saigon for education. Then, without returning here, they were sent to the United States. They left the jungle before they knew all that the jungle held. Now that they've come back with their eyes open, they're as astonished and horrified as you and I at some of the practices. Can't they put an end to them? You've said over and over that these two Cambodians are returning as prophets of the Khmer religion. And so they are, but unfortunately, two prophets are not as strong as age-old practice. They'd have to kill every Khmer priest in the region to wipe out the evil that creeps through this jungle at night. You're keeping something back, Dr. Carter. What is it? What is this evil that creeps through the jungle at night? Captain Friday, did you ever hear of the Steppenwolf of Russia, the Witch Wolf of the American Indians... The werewolf of Germany, also the loop guru of the Central European countries of the 18th century. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Perry, is there no end to the grisly details? Well, you would have them. 
They demanded them, didn't they, Professor Lebrun? Barry, you are wrong in one detail. The werewolf does not always deep behind the track of a wolf. That is the popular conception, but according to both German and Russian scientists, as often as not, the entire body is not transformed. You, you mean that sometimes they have the body of a man and the face of a wolf? Mm, or perhaps only the brain is twisted, so that you would not know that the person was of that nature, except for certain physical characteristics. Oh, except, of course, when he was in one of his maniacal tempers. Then then the thing that attacked Celia and me last night might might have been one of those things? Except that I never before heard of the creatures inhabiting French and or China. Professor, what, what are the physical characteristics? Well, how can you tell a werewolf? Eyebrows meeting across the nose. Oh, honestly, I've known a number of men who's... Oh, but that characteristic alone doesn't indicate anything, Patricia. Oh, what else? Long, slender, pointed fingers. Like... like mine? Even more exaggerated than yours, Celia. Oh. Sharp, pointed, elongated front teeth. Yeah, wolf's teeth, huh? Usually a mop of black curly hair. Indicative of a wolf's pelt. Tendency towards an airy body. Oh, Feel my hands, Patricia. They're as cold as ice. Oh, it's silly to go on talking like this. None of us will be able to sleep tonight. Well, you couldn't hire me to go into that room where we were last night. But, uh, Professor Laboon... <laughs> my dear child, haven't you had enough? No, I want to know all about it. What happens when... when they change from a... a, a man into a wolf? You know, Celia, they, they go in packs like wolves. They... they do? Uh, sure. The pack has a leader. He's usually more possessed than the others. The changing of the moon affects him. You mean the moon changes him into a werewolf? Well, according to one theory. Yeah, sounds to me like it was just plain crazy. There's a very close connection, Skip. But what, what happens? Go ahead, Professor. You tell them. I'll put another log in the fire. That's the first portion of Adventures by Morse. More after these words. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Now let's get back to Adventures by Morse. Oh, Sierra. Oh, please, please. I'd much rather know the truth than, than just think and think about it, imagining all sorts of awful things. Queer. It must be in the air. I haven't spoken on this subject for years. I haven't even wanted to. Last time I took part in an open forum concerning werewolves was the night the, I left the university in Budapest just before the war. It was winter time. An unrecognized son of Emperor Franz Joseph, a classmate, he took half a dozen of us to his winter place back in the forest for the holidays. Our host's name was Joseph. He was a peculiar chap. The same atmosphere that prevails tonight took hold of us. We sat about till midnight or so, eating cheese and a tough kind of rye bread and sloshing it down with mugs of stinging beer. Couldn't talk of anything but these human beasts. Someone would try playing the piano. <laughs> Joseph led us in body songs. No, it didn't work. The conversation always turned back to the same thing. How the leader of the werewolves races through the village streets calling to its pack, races into the night with swift black shadows at his heels. Uh, go on, Professor. Can't you picture it? Dignified, scholarly man seated poring over his books, 
beautiful home, warmth, comfort, and then suddenly the savage howl of a wolf, the call of the pack. The man leaps to his feet, blood rushes to his cheeks, the scholar stands trembling, and the howl comes again. He struggles with his collar so strangling, he rips his clothes to shreds with his pointed nails. Then, suddenly from his own throat, comes a terrible blood-curdling howl. Nauseating odor of the wolf permeates the room as he leaps through the window and is off into the night, the heels of the leader. Or perhaps it is a young husband, the distant howl, in terror lest he cannot get out of the house before his madness grasps him. He leaps from the bed beside his horrified wife and plunges headfirst from the window into the deep snow to howl and froth away into the night. And his poor wife lies shivering, wondering if her poor husband has not been torn to pieces by the wolves. You see, she is not aware that her husband is one of the mad pack. Oh, no. That was the manner in which we passed the hours until one by one we fell into a sort of stupor. Joseph slept right where he sat, and the rest of us did the same. I was awakened by the chilled air. It was morning. The fires were dead. The room was wretched. It still was littered with last night's repast and smelling foully of tobacco smoke and stale beer. I got up so stiff I could hardly move, and I shook the others awake. And then I noticed that one of the window panes was broken. Still stupid with sleep, I stumbled to it and I looked out. I took just one terrible look. I don't remember whether I cried out. I just fell to my knees and I gave myself up to the worst kiss of nausea I've ever known. For an hour and a half I was torn and racked with this terrible sickness. My stomach was in open revolt. The other five guests were no better off. Well, we were put to bed, but the moment we were able to travel, we packed our bags and returned to Budapest. And two months later, I came to the United States. Well, what'd you see? The body of Joseph. Here? Murdered? Torn and ripped almost beyond recognition by fangs. Signs of uh, wolf tracks in the snow all about. Professor Lebrun, is this a a true story? I was never more truthful in my life, Patricia. And it all happened just like things are happening tonight? As I said before, Celia, I never heard of that type of demon worship in this part of the world. But we smell the animal smell. And the thing we saw was most certainly mad, viciously mad. And it whimpered just like an, an animal. Listen. Oh, I didn't hear nothing. Be still. Dr. Carter, did you and Captain Fidey hear anything? What is it, Professor? Just uh, listen. There it is. Wolf howl. Oh, Perry, not really. What do you think, Doctor? Professor Lebrun, exactly the same thing you do. I know what that signifies. So do you. I'm afraid so. You mean the thing you were telling me about, Dr. Carter, is about to take place? Exactly, Captain Friday. The thing for us to do is to barricade ourselves in this room. can be done. Perry, big entrance door, bars from the inside. Skip, see what you can do with that smaller door. Hey, you? now, this is something like it. Come on, Perry, let's get a little action into this. I've had the jittering juju sitting around holding my hands. 
What about it, Dr. Carter? Captain Friday's in command now, Perry. Do what he tells you. Come along, Dr. Carter. Out on the balcony. Oh, there. There it is again. It's coming nearer. But what is it that's happening? I don't know. Maybe that's the leader of the pack. Coming here? Oh, you two girls remain right here by the fire. You'll be safe enough. But what are my father and Captain Friday doing out on the balcony? A matter that does not concern you in the least. No, stay here. You're not telling me what to do, Professor Lebrun. I warn you, Patricia. If you step out on that balcony tonight, you'll regret it the remainder of your life. You... you mean... Oh, we'll not go into that. Oh, good. Here comes Captain Friday now. I'll never be able to reach the balcony. It's a good 30 feet from the ground. We'll be safe in watching what happens from there. We must post men inside. I don't think there's a secret entrance to the room, but we mustn't take a chance. Well, I'll never get in through that small door, Captain. Now, listen. Did you hear that? That came from inside the temple. Somebody's responding to the call. I... I hope nobody in this room's a werewolf. Oh, my... my dear Celia. Look. Look at Professor Lebrun. He ran out on the balcony. Did you... did you see the look on his face? Did you see his face? The Carter Party is barricaded in the great chamber of the Temple of Priests. Outside, the ravaging howls of the wolfmen... Khmer Freaks answering the call of the leader of the pack. With the first of the cries, Professor Lebrun's face became intent, and then he rushed from the room to the balcony, looking down on the savage moonlit scene outside. Did you see the look on his face? Did you see his face? You don't suppose he's... Skip, follow me. You bet you... Oh, boss, boss, come back here. Patricia, stay where you are. But Dr. Carter... Harry, stay here with the girls. I'm going out in the balcony and see what this is all about. Uh, sure, go ahead, Doctor. Darn glad we're armed. <laughs> Now, there, there, Patricia. Barry, what if... There goes another one out of the temple. This place must be full of them. Come on, you two. Crowd up here to the fireplace with me. Here, what's going on out here in the balcony? Are you all right, Lebrun? Don't be ridiculous, Doctor. What made you run out here like you did? You frightened the girls. I wanted to catch a glimpse of the person leaving the temple to join the pack, if I could. Oh, did you? Yes, look. Look, quick. There goes another one now. See? Just a shadow. Here, I've seen him. Hey, but it was on his feet. Of course. The breeze that's bringing us the leader's call should bring something else. Any of you smell anything? I got it when I first came out. It's in the air, all right. You mean that funny smell? Odor of predatory animals. That's it. I've seen enough. Come on, Skip. Come on, come on. We'll go inside and watch with Perry. Sure, suits me. The least sign of danger, call us in. Okay, Chief. Hey, Perry, how you get that way? Look here, Professor. An arm around each girl. <gasps> Professor Lebrun. Something wrong? Are you all right? I never felt better in my life. Then, then you're not. <laughs> no, I'm not a werewolf. But you look so strange when you ran out in the balcony. Oh, an overworked imagination. Oh, I'm glad. I, I'm sorry. I thought you were. Oh, that, that's terrible. Celia, Celia, stop trembling oh, like I, that. I can't help it. What do you think of that? There must have been a dozen of them racing down the hall and out to join the pack. I'll recheck the doors off the wall. Hey, suppose they try to gang up on us. That many of them could... One of them's at the door now. Hey, Dr. Carter! Captain Friday! Come here, quick! What's the matter? What is it, Perry? One of them's trying to break in. What's this? What's this? The door. One of them's at the door. Who is it? Who's out there? Don't open that door, Doctor. Answer out there. Who is it? I beg you, Dr. Carter. It's Taquan. Open up to me. It is Taquan. 
Open to me. Look out. Maybe a ruse to get the door open. He sounds in terrible pain. Taquan! Taquan! Are you alone? I am alone. Be quick before they come for me. I'm going to open the door. Wait a minute. Skip, keep your gun handy. I got it, Chief. Stand to the right of the door. Hurry, take your gun and stand to the left of the door. Professor, you and I will stand directly in front. Dr. Carter, swing the door open and drop behind it so you'll be out of the line of gunfire. Well, hurry. I can hear the poor fellow panning and groaning. Are you ready? Let her rip, Chief. Then open the door. Yes? Yes, he's alone, Captain. All right. Drag him in, Skip. Yeah. Here they come. Close the door and bar it. any too soon. Oh, look at his face. Everyone stand back, please. Here, Taquan, lie down in this robe. Perry, go to the fountain on the balcony. Bring me some water. Here, look at him, all ripped up with claws. Mm, Might be serious. Get LeBrun, Skip. This boy needs a professional. We'll have you fixed up in a minute. I need some bandages, something clean. Well, I I just got out of fresh underskirt, boss. Would would that do? Yeah, take it off. Tear it up into strips about two inches wide, will you? All right. Go over behind that screen. Hurry. All right. Come with me, Celia. Uh, yes, but uh, I'm shaking so... Oh, it'll only be a minute. Yes, Celia. Undo me in the back. I have to take my dress off. Oh, I can hardly make my fingers work. <laughs> there. All right. Now the underskirt. Oh, the straps are pinned to the... Oh, never mind. Break them. Yank them loose. Here. Like like this. Oh, I'm jelly inside. I'm not brave at all. Well, I'm not brave either, but this is an emergency. Now, help me get back into my dress. Uh, no, 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 the other way. Uh, oh, let it alone. I can do it better myself. Here, take the skirt and start ripping it up. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Don't want me to fasten you up again? Oh, never mind that now. Come on, out in the light so we can see what we're doing. Here, give me the skirt. Here's your pan of water, Captain. All right, Skip. Hold the pan. I want Perry to help me bathe these scratches. What's keeping the broom? He's checking the whole doors, Chief. Said he'd be right back. Dr. Carter, start cutting away his clothes wherever you see a claw mark, will you? My poor friend. How are those bandages coming along? Does it make any difference how long they are? Longer the better, that's all. Okay. The doors are secure. Well, what's the trouble here? It's Daquan. You'd better take over, Professor. Yes, these wounds should be washed. We need warm water. Hey, Professor, there's another one of them pots out on the balcony. What about filling it up and setting it on the fire? Go ahead, Skiff. He hasn't said a word. Is he conscious? Do not fear for me. It is not I for whom my heart weeps. Out of his head. Find any marks in his body? Number of deep gashes on his left side. Look. Look here. Something's bitten into the flesh here. Here, let me see. Hmm, that needs immediate attention. Perry, you go on washing the face. Yeah, Captain, roll him toward you just a bit. There. That's better. Yes, a humding of a fire. You'll have hot water in no time. Oh, wring out your handkerchief and hand it to me, Perry. Thanks. Captain Friday, take the longest blade of your knife and bury it in the coals for two minutes and then bring it to me. Hey, Professor, what's that for? Uh, just stand back out of the light, will you, Skip? Ah, all my emergency equipment would be where I can't lay hands on it now that I need it. One skirt is an awful lot of bandages. Well, we'll need them. Get a couple of the longest ones handy. Uh, roll them up. Uh, don't handle them any more than you can help. There, now. Wash the blood out of that handkerchief and give it back to me, Perry. Here comes Captain Friday with the knife. All right. Never mind the rag, Perry. Give it to me quick, Captain. Hang on tight, Taquan. I'm going to burn out this wound. Oh, no. Oh, no. Mm, don't let the girls watch. Uh, sit on his legs, Doctor. Uh, Captain, will you and Perry 
Hold his arms down. Ready? <gasps> All over. Get hold of yourself, Celia. And uh, now those bandages, Captain Friday. Here you are. Mm. Thank you, Captain. Water's hot now, Professor. Good. Uh, skip. Uh, reach in my left upper pocket. Uh, unbutton the flap and get that vial. Mm-hmm. Got it? Okay, teacher. Drop eight or ten drops in the water. Uh, Perry, take a clean piece of cloth and rewash the wounds on his face while I finish bandaging this. Oh, yes, sir. I'll ever see a fellow with more nerve. Not a peep out of him after that one yell. Fainted, that's why. Uh, won't try to bring him to, you know, until we've finished. Uh, his heart's all right. Not much we can do, Captain. The professor seems to have things pretty well in hand. Yes, we've got his clothes cut away from all the slashes and cuts on his legs. Celia seems to be in a bad way. I, I'll see what I can do for her. Pretty rough experience. How are you, Patricia? All right, boss. That smell of burned flesh kind of got me for a minute. Well, you're taking it fine. Hang on. Thanks. Gee, did you ever see anyone so marvelous with his hands as Professor Lebrun? Yes. He's more than a college professor. He's one of the finest surgeons in the West. There. Now we'll swathe his whole face in claws dipped in this medicated water. It's the best we can do for him now. What do you make of these scratches, Professor? Made by human nails. And they were human teeth that bit him. Hey, you don't mean they're cannibals. Hardly. Cannibalism consists of more than tearing human flesh with nails and teeth. Not cannibals. Just plain, demented fiends. In other words, werewolves. After a fashion, yes. Another strip of bandage, Patricia. Here, Professor. Good girl. Skip, put more water on the fire. Captain Friday, will you put your thumb on this bandage? Handicapped without adhesive tape. Hey, look, your teacher. I ain't heard any sounds outside for quite a bit now. Maybe I could sneak out where your medical stuff is and bring it in. He'll do nothing of the kind, Skip. Those doors stay shut and barred. I agree. There, Perry. That will take care of his head and the worst of the body scratches. It looks more like a mummy than a living person. We've left openings for his mouth and eyes. Hey, look at that, Professor. He's moving. Coming around. Hmm, that's good. Will he be in much pain? Oh, the worst is over. I've got to clean up a little myself now. Dr. Carter, what do you suppose Taquan meant when he said that it wasn't himself that his heart wept for? A queer sort of thing. I don't know exactly, Captain. I have a vague sort of idea, but I think we'll have to look to Taquan himself for the true explanation. How's Celia? Not so good. I made her lie down on a rug in front of the fire. Uh Uh-oh. He's opening his eyes. Feel pretty sick, Taquan? Where is my friend, Professor LeBon? He'll be right back. Are you in pain, Taquan? No, not pain in my body. The bleeding is in my heart. Well, take it easy now. You're going to be all right. I am not badly hurt then. Nothing that won't be all right in a few days. Dr. Carter, come close. I want to tell you, you have no friends here among my people but myself. What's that, Taquan? What about Fenlo? You promised us the protection of Fenlo. What's happened, Taquan? Captain Friday, you need not worry longer about my brother priest, Fenlo. What's that supposed to mean? Can you tell us, Taquan? Fenlo... Is no more. I have killed Fenlo, my brother priest, with my own hands. What, Tokwan? You've committed another murder? I have killed Fenlo, and there are none but enemies against us in all the jungles of Cambodia. The ancient Khmer priests are out of hand. 
They have turned against their natural leader, Taquan. He can no longer promise the Carter Party protection. His own life is at stake. Listen next week to the ninth episode of The Cobra King Strikes Back, entitled The Fangs and Teeth of the Enemy. You are listening to Adventures by Morse. And that's Adventures by Morris from June 9th, 1946, part 8 of this 10-part story called The Cobra King Strikes Back. That is, It Was Not Cannibalism. That stars David Ellis. And we'll have uh, part 9 and part 10 in the next two weeks here on Hollywood 360. But first, these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next week, it's The Shadow, The Doris Day Show, Gangbusters, Nightbeat, The Jack Benny Program, and Adventures by Morse. For my team here at Hollywood 360, thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.